0: You've seen the best. You've seen the worst.
1: Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gay Fesh, T,
0: Earl Grey, hot.
1: And I'm Ari, and I'm afraid of us, of what we might become. And
0: today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Dolphin and Contagion. But first, uh, the Kenobi trailer just came out.
1: I know. <laughs> I, I literally just watched it again so that we could talk about it yeah and, we just oh watched it right my now. goodness i love it so much i have been waiting for it for so long like i i know we talked about this an episode or two ago but i love the prequels and ewan mcgregor being obi-wan was one of the things that made me love the prequels and i am so ready for this
0: i think Ewan McGregor is one of the few things that basically, even if you hate the prequels, everyone agrees he's phenomenal. Like when I think of Kenobi, I think of Ewan McGregor before I think of Alec Guinness.
1: Oh, for sure. Me, too. Yeah. Which
0: Alec Guinness probably appreciates because he
1: hated Star Wars. Yeah, he sure did. There's that one There's that one letter that goes around every year on the anniversary that he sent it or whatever about how it's this stupid movie no one's ever going to hear anything about that he's <laughs> written to his wife and he can't believe he's out here in the desert and all this stuff. And it's like, I hate it so much. There's some guy no one's ever heard of named Harrison Ford also in the movie. And I don't know. It's a really funny thing that I see every year around, you know, probably May the 4th. But, um, yeah, it's funny. I, my very first reaction to the trailer was Baby Luke pretending to podcast or podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's our job, Luke. That's like, yeah. (laughs) Baby Luke pretending to pod race is just Uh the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. It is so cute. Like, I love it so much.
0: And it's supposed to remind you of Anakin, like, deliberately. Here's this little Skywalker kid out on the dunes of Tatooine.
1: Pretending he's a pod racer, yep. (laughs) I'm
0: going to bet money he says yippee in the show.
1: (laughs) Yippee! (laughs) It's my favorite Darth Vader quote. And it gave me strong vibes of that poster from when episode one came out where you're looking at baby Anakin and he's standing basically in front of one of those like huts that Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru live in and the shadow is Vader. Yeah. That was on my wall like <laughs> I loved that poster so much. I thought it was so cool. It lived on my wall for a long time. The first thing that stood out to me in the trailer
0: is the, uh, the Inquisitors from Star Wars Rebels mm-hmm. are in this.
1: Which I think is going to be really interesting. They keep bringing more and more of the animated characters like Cad Bane and such and Ahsoka into the live action stuff, which is so cool.
0: Well, it's Dave Filoni is basically running Star Wars at this point, and he got his start doing Clone Wars, so that, right, makes, that sense. makes sense. Yeah. The other thing, uh, the first time I watched it, I had kind of only been half watching it, so I was just like, I hope this whole show isn't going to be on Tatooine like Boba Fett was. But then I noticed that there's like a a, a a Hong Kong planet that has kind of Blade Runner vibes.
1: I thought that was supposed to be Coruscant, but I could be wrong. Well, it could be Coruscant,
0: but it could be somewhere else. Who knows?
1: Yeah, and Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen is—it's the same one for the prequels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew he was going to be in this one.
1: They brought him back. I didn't—I didn't see Baru, but Uncle Owen for sure. Also, the first time I was watching it, I was at work, but I have been waiting for this trailer for like five years. <laughs> so I waited until I had a second, and then I started playing it. And so I was watching it at work, and my my principal of my school came in. He has this—he has this ability to come in at the one time I'm not doing things, so it looks like I'm. <laughs> never busy and i was watching the trailer and i and he like walks up to me and says hey ari and i'm like hi star wars just a second (laughs) i've been waiting for this trailer for so long and he goes oh when does it come out (laughs) so so we were all there in that moment but then Uh just re-watching it now with my headphones in and actually paying attention to it holy shit like <laughs> the, the <laughs> duels of the fates a friend of mine called it cheap but with my headphones on and watching it happen it was the right music it was the right music to put in that trailer i just loved every second of it
0: no the prequel music that they used is great and i also i like that they don't show vader and because we know vader is going to be in the show but we don't right. know to what extent and i would like them to keep that out of the previews let's just see it in the show.
1: But is having the breathing at the very end becoming kind of a cliche trope they do too much? Because I feel like we had that in something else. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I feel like that was even in, like, the episode three trailer. Like, they ended with a...
1: Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's the only part of it that bothered me is it felt like we've heard that, or you know, I guess I guess what I'm thinking of actually now that it's coming into my brain is it's the trailer for the Rise of Skywalker. They just had the Emperor laugh, so it was ex- it was uh, the same exact like, oh, we'll just end this with a noise that they know is this character. Hey, oh, remember whatever. this thing from the Star Wars? Yeah, <laughs> we don't even have to show it to you. It's so iconic. We just have to make the sound. <laughs> uh, of
0: course, I mean when. When you're doing an obi-wan kenobi show like the entire thing is going to be nostalgia It's kind of unavoidable of course yeah um, because there's going to be nostalgia for the prequels and because it is like on Tatooine, setting up episode four there's going to be nostalgia for episode four you've got young luke there so the whole thing's nostalgia bait and then they throw on the rebel stuff on top
1: i know it's weird that the it. prequels have been out for so long that they actually can have nostalgia. I mean, <laughs> I've liked them for the last 20 years and everyone else got on the bandwagon about four or five years ago. And I'm not entirely sure what happened other than people didn't like the sequels. And so they were like, well, I guess I'll have to like one of these Star Wars things or I can't claim to be a Star Wars fan anymore. <laughs> and so they suddenly like the prequels.
0: It's weird how uh, it doesn't feel like as much time has passed between when uh, uh, Episode 1 came out now as when like the original trilogy came out because like the original trilogy i mean they all came out before i was born so right. I, I in my mind it was just like they had been made a long time ago in a galaxy far far away so like <laughs> when the new ones were coming out i was just like oh my god it's been forever when really it had been like 15 years between uh jedi and the phantom menace
1: yeah yeah it, and so, actually, more time has passed because yeah. it's been 20, right? Because I think it came out in 2001. Does that sound right?
0: Well, uh, Phantom Minutes was 99.
1: 99, and, okay. And so even older than I thought.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, episode one was 99, episode two was 2002, episode three was 2005. So, yeah, it's...
1: It's been a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm Well, I'm ready for it, but today we're gonna talk about Star Trek. So today we are talking about the Dauphine, which is the tenth episode of season two. It first aired on the twentieth of February nineteen eighty nine. Ooh, two days before my sister was born. It was written by Scott Rubenstein and Leonard Meandano, direct and it was directed by Rob Bowman. So uh
0: this is the episode where Wesley gets his first kiss.
1: It is. It is. I liked I liked that bit. Wesley had a crush. It's a little weird because
0: the actress that they cast was like 10 years older than Will Wheaton and Will Wheaton was 16.
1: Okay, good because that was my first thought.
0: <laughs> the the basic plot is and it's actually it is a very basic plot. They are picking up a uh the leader of some uh, other world who's been raised off in secrecy to like bring together warring tribes and they're just transporting her to Uh, to her homeworld, and in the meantime, because she's young and Wesley's young, they have a a little teenage romance.
1: But really, on the inside, they're they're evil Ewok zombies. Well,
0: they're alasomorphs, as we find out. They're, like, shapeshifters. And actually, it turns out, like, I, I think they're default form is what Wesley sees on the transport Is that what they were
1: trying to imply? I wasn't sure. Um, Well, because
0: remember when they're looking at the planets, they're like, that's so inhospitable to humanoid life. How could anything live there? And I assume... Because
1: even the big zombie Ewok thing is still humanoid it right. you know was bipedal at least you know.
0: Do you remember when they arrived uh, to pick them up at first and they contact Anya she asks what species are you because she wants to know okay this is oh, what we're going to look like when we beam yeah, up. Yeah
1: she did you're right.
0: But uh, their default form is like some kind of like being of light or, or whatnot which is kind of cool Salia is the uh, her parents were like members of warring tribes that had a child that was meant to unite them all but then the parents died and she was taken off in seclusion until she could come of age to rule the planet
1: which was one of two romeo and juliet references um the other one is when wesley's up fixing something and jordy's down talking to him and the shot is jordy looking up to wesley like he's on a juliet balcony (laughs) (laughs) and i thought okay that can't be on not on purpose it has to be on purpose right because we just had another reference to romeo and juliet like three minutes before that shot you know but yeah anyway I don't know what I'm referencing, but my notes say, shut it, (laughs) Billiam. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but.
0: Salia is uh, being cared for by uh, a woman named Anya, who is a psychopath.
1: Yeah, a vengeance demon yeah
0: like she uh you know um she she is extremely protective uh, of Sally and when it seems like Sally and wesley are starting to have a thing she's like oh you can't talk to that boy and like she starts like touring the enterprise in any single problem that she sees she's like well this won't do and like Jordy's like i don't know i'm just um it's just routine maintenance on it it's it's, it's fine nothing's broken and it's like well how do you know because the computer would tell us well what if the computer's broke she goes into like sick bay and sees that there's like They're treating a patient who has like a a disease that is potentially contagious, but the ship's filtering systems take care of it. And she's like, well, that won't do. You have to kill him now. (laughs) I know.
1: I loved that declaration. You must kill him now.
0: (laughs) And and Worf is just like, "Okay, I actually I got to fight this bitch now. And then she turns into a giant. like bug-eyed uh, a wookiee which is one of two like star wars forms she's got the little bug-eyed ewok and the giant bug-eyed mm-hmm. wookiee those are her two yeah, cause it's the monster same, forms
1: because that's what i was like why is she now six feet tall because <laughs> i did not realize <laughs> that she was being made of pure light or whatever i just thought that 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 bugbear form was her regular form <laughs>
0: You know? <laughs> that would be funny uh, she had one more form which uh, I don't I don't recognize the actress but you do so go ahead oh my that. god
1: I was so mad she wasn't just Anya the whole time it's <laughs> Shelly from from Twin Peaks I was so excited because this would have been right before or maybe right as she was really famous on Twin Peaks because this I said 1989 right and I think that Twin Peaks came out in 1990 um, but Mad Chen Mad Chen Amick plays Shelly on Twin Peaks and I was so excited. It says in all capitals, Shelly. Shelly is here in my notes because (laughs) Shelly was one of my favorite characters. And I was really mad when Anya just went back to the old lady form and never went back to being Madchen again. I was like, oh... It's so sad. But yeah, I was really excited that she was here. I mean, at one point in the 90s, she would have been more famous than anybody else on that show because how big Twin Peaks got when it first came out, you know?
0: So th- this was like two years before Twin Peaks, so...
1: Yeah. Uh, she it's wasn't just interesting yet. to me. Yeah, there's been so many of those random little actors. Like, we've seen Terry Hatcher, now we've seen Shelly. <laughs> like, um, it's interesting to me how many little actors you see and you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe this person is on, on the Star Trek show, you know? Well, and
0: when I was looking at this episode I was thinking like wasn't there another actress that Wesley had his first kiss with and then I realized no it was her first on-screen kiss with him uh, Ashley Judd is going to be in oh. like a fifth fifth season episode where she kisses Wesley Interesting. and that's okay. who I was thinking of so that's another one that
1: uh, <laughs> So I felt like that actress was way older than Wesley and it made me uncomfortable from the beginning so she to was. hear that She's she 10 was years 10 older. years older yeah that just really ooh it makes me yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and <laughs> Ashley Judd is like four years older than Will Wheaton. That's fine. That's not a big issue for me. Right. <laughs> but yeah, 10 years, especially at that point, he's 16. That's a little creepy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. And they should have cast a younger actor. But she, I mean, she kind of has a like a young look to her, like an innocence about her. And I think that's what they were going for when they cast her.
1: Yeah. I think so, too. But they could have gone with an actual teenager. This whole thing where they won't cast teenagers to play teenagers is so weird. <laughs> I
0: know. Well, then they've got Will
1: Wayne's a teenager and
0: he's a show regular. I don't get why they couldn't bring on another teenager for one episode.
1: I know. Like someone that's actually his age, you know? I, I think uh, pro- there's probably
0: a, an issue of that in that it's harder to find teenage actors who are actually good. True. Um. Like I mean, Will Wheaton is a child actor. Like he's he was famous since before he was a teenager, uh, so he's been doing this a while. Um, and basically, unless you start out as a child actor. If you try and start out in in your teens as an actor, I don't...
1: And then there's that awkward teenage phase, because you're kind of cute all through, like, 11 and 12, and then every human being goes through the 13 to 15-year-old awkward stage, or as I like to call it, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Um, Or as I like to call it, the Macaulay
0: Culkin Syndrome.
1: Yes, or that. Yeah, I mean, like...
0: Sometimes you never grow out of that awkward phase, (laughs) and you just
1: become Macaulay Culkin. Like Rupert Grint. He never really quite grew out of the awkward phase, but, you know... uh, Harry and Hermione went on to, you know, be normal adult people. But like, I think it's weird because that like Boyhood. Did you see that movie Um, where they filmed it over 13 years or something like that? Uh And it's the same actors through the whole thing. Yeah, it's not the best movie ever made because the kid is learning to act through his whole life. And then he goes through his awkward phase and everything. But it's so cool to watch. Like you watch Patricia Arquette grow old. You watch Ethan Ock grow old. You watch the actors in the movie grow old, and they're not the best actors. you're right. And so that's probably what it is. There's the awkward teenage phase combined with if you weren't an actor as a child, you're not going to have the experience that causes people to always like cast twenty five plus year olds to be teenagers plus probably labor laws, right?
0: Yeah, because I think um, what are the the child labor laws in in Hollywood? Um, I, I know they have like, they have to make special exemptions just because, uh, you know, m- in most places, if you're 12, you cannot do a job, but obviously right. they have, they have well, exceptions. Isn't this for... why they
1: used to work with twins a lot was because yes. they could use one for four hours and then yes. use the other one for four hours or whatever. That's why they went with
0: the Olsen twins for one character. Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. And the, no, they played twins. I was going to say Jack and Cole Sprouse played twins on Full House as well, but they were actually yeah. twins.
0: Yeah, but they were like, "Well, everyone knows the Olsen twins are twins, so why don't we capitalize on the twinness of of it and get some other twins on the show?"
1: Right? Yeah, I was gonna say. Plus, then it shows that it runs in the family, but that's but Michelle's not a twin, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't work. Will or
0: not Will Wesley? When he sees uh, uh, her in the hallway at first, he's just like immediately smitten, and he's just like, oh, "Who was that? Oh wow!" And then <laughs> what is? And, and like, um, Jordy notices that he's like distracted while working on the warp core, and he's like, All right, come down from there. You're, you're love struck. You're, it's, I understand, I was your age once, I I've dealt with that, <laughs> but you're gonna be of no use here and you're gonna blow up the ship, so come on down. And then stop, Wesley's st- like,
1: Stop spraying that laser into that computer, kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and Wesley's like, Well, how do I talk to her? And I'm like, Kid, don't ask Jordy, do not ask Jordy for advice on women.
1: <laughs> well, his advice was. To say hi, I'm Wesley Crusher, and I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> Which is his not bad advice. Yeah. That's not
0: horrible advice, but like I- I'm just thinking, uh, we haven't really seen it yet. But Jordy is really terrible with women. Like, yeah. uh, it- it's kind of like a running joke that he's just really bad at like getting dates and stuff like that. So I'm just thinking, don't don't ask Jordy for advice. <laughs> but then he goes to like Worf and Data, and like that's even worse because <laughs> Worf is just. <laughs>
1: The way they cut it, the way they cut it to, like, just go straight to him screaming, like, from talking to Jordy to, like, you hear this, ah, like, happening. You're like, oh, my God, what's happening? And then it, like, pans over to Worf's face and he's screaming. And then he's like, so that's how you attract women. He's like, no, men do not roar. Women roar.
0: And throw hurl, hurl heavy objects. He's like, well, what do the men do? He reads her love poetry.
1: Right. So imagine, I'm trying to imagine this whole scene. Like, okay, so there's a Klingon man just having to sit in a chair, smoking a pipe, reading some (laughs) love poetry. And then there's a Klingon woman in the corner screaming and throwing things in his general direction. (laughs) Like, this mating ritual. I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around (laughs) They, but it was, um, I think I messaged you that I needed an adult because it was the look on Worf's face. Like, he had this look, like, and then she throws things.
0: Well, you could tell, like, like Wesley's, as soon as Wesley leaves, like, just the look on Worf's face is like, Worf, do you do you need to get this out with some Klingon calisthenics? Yeah, go to the
1: holodeck, maybe?
0: <laughs> and then, like... Oh, and, and then Data is talking about, like, he, he just kind of breaks it down into, his, like, well, you look very biologically compatible with her because you, you both have have similar forms, but there might be some genetic... And he's like, Data, I'm not trying to dissect her. I'm trying to talk to her.
1: <laughs> I have no idea what this is from, but it's, it reminded me of this joke that I heard once. Um, and I can't remember what it's from, and it's probably from some dumb movie or something, but, like, someone's, like, setting up their bedroom to get ready to, like... Seduce the woman that they're into, and they've put candles everywhere. And someone walks in and goes, "Are you trying to? F- or are you trying to burn her alive?" <laughs> <laughs> and it reminded me of that because I was like, "All these people are giving him this terrible advice." And I love that Wesley's response to to Wharf isn't like shame him or anything. He's like, "Yeah, that sounds like it works out real great for Klingons."
0: Then he goes to 10 forward to ask uh, uh, Riker for advice, and Riker brings over Guinan, and they're like, "All right, here's." here's how it would go and then they completely ignore Wesley and start flirting with each other in front of him and and like at some point Wesley's just like I don't think this is my style and Guyana's like shut up kid tell me more about myself
1: I know. And at first, when he said, when he called her the most beautiful woman in the galaxy, I thought, oh, Gaiden's not going to go for this. And then he kept going and then she kept like right back at him or whatever. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, no, what am I watching? <laughs> Why <laughs> this does it feel so uncomfortable to watch?
0: <laughs> no, it was great. I loved it. Um, obviously, the, the words they are saying to each other are awful dialogue but they sell it so well and you can tell they're having fun with it they're they're very clearly doing this to tease wesley right Um, you're the heart in
1: my day and the soul (laughs) in my night i want some thallion chocolate mousse though oh yeah you know 400 year old aged they they
0: replicate it and she takes like one bite and then like sets it back on the on the replicator pad i know she's
1: like oh this is so good sets it down and then wesley's like you know what i can do i can show you the world and then they have an aladdin montage
0: (laughs) yeah um and you know hey it's uh we got some like actual like good alien landscapes, because he takes her to the holodeck to show her all these planets that she's yeah, never seen. Yeah, that was And cool. instead of using the, the Season 1 TOS uh, set, they actually do some really cool matte paintings and yeah. uh, cool compositing work. Like, they're standing on an asteroid, and they're looking at other asteroids and everything, and it, it actually it's looks It's really good. cool looking, yeah. Yeah, it was like, I was sitting here, I'm like, this is a, a lot of budget for kind of a nothing episode that's just there for, like, Wesley to have a romance. Like, it I, is. I, would have, I would have saved that money for, like, a better episode because I didn't really find much to this one, but I, I was impressed with the visuals.
1: Yeah, I thought the visuals were cool. Of
0: course, um not all the visuals were the greatest uh, because those, uh the, the different monster forms that Anya took were, um... Those They're looked awful. like T.O.S. costumes. Yeah,
1: they did. I like how when, um, Salia... I think Salia, right? Yeah. When Salia turns into hers and she's like a ginger one, like she's red haired. (laughs) I was like, oh, so that's why I thought that was their true form because they both morphed into it or whatever. And the only time we ever see Salia is into that form other than at the end. So I was thrown off by that. And I had a big critique about how the, the evil zombie Ewok thing had a mouth. So it made no sense that their language was chittering noises. But now that we know that it's a being of pure light or whatever, we know for sure that um the chittering is probably because they don't have mouths you know i kept trying to figure out who the lady was the one playing anya um she's just one of those ladies that's been in everything for like 50 years until she died mm-hmm. like she's been in a ton of stuff all the way to black and white movies i thought her, i thought as i was watching her i was like is that the mother superior from sound of music it kind of reminded me of her <laughs> so I was looking at her imdb and it's I mean, she's just been in so much stuff like random bits here, random bits there that she probably just is a face. I know from seeing her all over TV, mm-hmm. the holiday holiday would be a really cool place to have a holiday is what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, like go it go would be a cool way to go on a date, though. Right. Like, yeah, you could literally go anywhere.
0: You don't need reservations. You can go to the swankiest joint in like Paris or whatnot, just by telling the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Just- yeah, and the major deal be I have your seat right this way, sir.
1: So then he, she gets upset when after she turns into the giant ginger. Yeah, he turns bear a little thing.
0: racist. Yeah. there. <laughs> and know. like, I can understand like like initial shock, like oh, I thought you, you just looked like that, but apparently you can just change your form. And like, there, I can understand a little uh, apprehension over somebody who could just turn into anything. Like, well, what is your true form? But like, right. he he like starts questioning whether she even has like real feelings and she's like no i, I know like, she's like no like I, I may look different but like i'm still me i feel things just the same way that you do uh it was obviously it's not meant to be because she is supposed to rule a planet and even though like she's feeling regret because there's all these things that wesley has seen that she never will get to see because she probably will never gets to leave this planet once she's there to rule it you know it's right. uh, uh, a busy life um you know being a monarch or whatever (laughs) whatever the the leadership structure on
1: that planet is yeah it seems like they because they sent her off to mature right on a different planet so that she wouldn't get murdered or whatever while we waited for her to come back and because her parents died right away like a couple years into her life yeah she's got a real like yeah this was her one little adventure before she goes you know off to rule forever and i don't know i didn't I I had compassion for her, but I also was like, well, you're the ruler. You can, you can change how things go a little bit, I guess. I don't know. We didn't get enough of the actual planet when her job was going to be to like fully understand why she would never, ever get to see the rest of the universe you know,
0: there was a really good scene in this at the end when Wesley, after she has beamed off and Wesley's like, you know, just drowning his sorrows and Ten Forward and Guinan mm-hmm. shows up to, uh, you know... Give him a, a shoulder to cry on, and she is not dismissive of his feelings, even though you know he's a teenager, and you, right. you know, because but because she realizes, well, you know, just because your kid doesn't mean those feelings aren't real, and you know, hmm. he's even though he only knew this girl for a couple of days, he's like, I'm never gonna feel about the same way about anyone else, and was like, yeah. You're not going to
1: because all love is different. I thought that was such a cool because it is every single time you meet someone new. Sure, you go through that same like, you know, falling in love, getting to know them kind of thing. But every time it is slightly different. It was very smart, very Mm -hmm. interesting writing. Then actually at the bottom of my notes for this episode, it just says guidance surrounded by hearts. (laughs) So I must have (laughs) just been happy with what she said there. Oh, I forgot one thing to say about Anya, though. She was the uncredited voice of Gozer in Ghostbusters. Oh, interesting. (laughs) That was the one cool thing I found out about her. She was the voice. (laughs) (laughs) So now we're going to talk about Contagion, which is the 11th episode of the second season. It aired on the 20th of March, 1989. And it was written by Steve Gerber and Beth Woods, and directed by Joseph L. Scanlon.
0: There was a couple episodes. actually, at the beginning of season two, they had mentioned a sister ship, the Yamato, that they thought they saw, but it was just an uh, illusion by um, uh, uh, Nagelum. Well, mm-hmm. this time we actually get to see it.
1: That's I was trying to remember where I knew the where I knew the um name from. And yeah. so I couldn't, hadn't quite placed it. I was like, I know I know that name.
0: It's also, I mean, it's it's uh, named for uh, Battleship Yamato, which is uh, um, uh, an anime.
1: Oh, okay.
0: But uh, of course, we only see the Yamato for about like two minutes because it explodes pretty much right away yeah there's um actually there was a a line like right at the beginning when they're like going to rendezvous with the Yamato Picard asks Wesley what the uh, ETA to rendezvous is and Wesley says four minutes and 33 seconds do you recognize that reference
1: it sounds familiar but no
0: there is a piece of music by John Cage called uh, 433 and it Mm -hmm. is four minutes and 33 seconds of silence Oh, the idea is to have it in a full orchestra in like, you know, a concert hall and have the conductor read out the beats, but nobody plays anything. And the music is just like the ambience of it. Uh, so it's it's kind of a, just a meme reference, but I am pretty sure that. For them to pick exactly four minutes and 33 seconds, it was just like, oh, I'll I'll throw in a reference to John Cage. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. No, I didn't know that. That's cool.
0: Turns out they're able to download the Yamato's uh, logs before it blew up. And they find out that the Yamato has been uh, investigating uh, an ancient culture that has disappeared uh, millennia ago called the Iconians. Right. The Yamato had actually found the, the Iconian homeworld in the neutral zone and was risking violating the treaty with the Romulans to go there because uh, the the, the Yamato's captain was like, "Uh, look, if the Romulans get there first, like there's some technology here that they could use as a weapon. We can't risk them getting it. So Picard's like, all right, well, I guess uh, we had better go there and investigate too. But uh, all the while... They're noticing that like ships, uh, ship systems are malfunctioning very much in the way that the Amato's did when it blew up. And it's not to the degree that the Amato was experiencing them. Uh, like the seems first a one slower. is that a
1: door doesn't automate automatically open for Jean-Luc, for example. Yeah.
0: Um, and then like he uh orders tea Earl Grey hot for the first time in the show. Mm-hmm. That's the first line, time we get that line. And he gets uh, a Janet Cactus instead. He
1: does get a Janet Cactus.
0: They're uh, um, wondering, actually, if the uh, Yamato might have been destroyed by a Romulan uh, warbird. Um, And as they approach Iconia, they are, in fact, uh, greeted by a warbird that, like, decloaks. But... Um, when it tries to attack them, it actually seems like it's suffering from the same issues that the Enterprise is.
1: As soon as they said the phasers were locked on them, I was like, "Do we? How do we know the computer isn't doing that though? You know, mm-hmm. because we know that our computer's malfunctioning. What if their computer's malfunctioning?" As soon as they yeah. said phasers are locked on us, I was like, "Don't believe it. It's probably not worth believing." <laughs>
0: um, there's actually a great scene where, like, uh, there's a probe that comes up from the Iconian planet when they get into orbit. And like uh, uh, the Picard tells Geordi, I'm going to, you know, uh, tractor it in so that we can study it. And Jordy's mm-hmm. like, wait, no. But like the the computer malfunctions and he can't hail him, so he like goes. Uh, he runs over to the turbo lift and like the turbo lift starts malfunctioning and sends him flying all
1: all around by himself. He's doing his own personal bridge roll or whatever it's called in the elevator. And they do,
0: they, they do the trope where you knock the glasses off the blind dude. He has to like feel around on the ground for them. And actually I noticed when he's running to the turbo lift first, he goes to like, there's this one door. In engineering that is actually an access hatch to like the Jeffries tubes which are the little access tubes throughout the ship and mm-hmm. i was like if you're in a rush why is your first thought to climb 10 decks to the bridge <laughs> instead of going to the turbo i was lift.
1: afraid it was gonna malfunction that was my only thought because later on they say that pulaski is a isn't using the turbo lifts and she's right. making everyone use the use like secret hat. tunnels. Yeah. yeah. They, um,
0: Picard decides that he's going to lead the away team down to the planet. And Rutgers, like we've, had this conversation a hundred times we're I can't let you do that and Picard's like yeah we're gonna have this conversation more but uh sorry I've been studying the Iconians and, and archaeology since I was a Starfleet cadet so uh I am the most qualified person on the ship to go lead it and I kind of agree with him here so he and yeah. Worf and Data go down to the planet and they discover that uh the Iconians have like a uh, a, a gateway system because they never uh used starships there was like a rumor about them—they
1: would just magically appear on planets. Yeah. Demons
0: of air, and mm, I don't remember—I don't remember exactly what the, the term was, but it was something like demons of air, because they would just appear, and so they find this gateway that just like cycles through different places that are clearly not on Iconia. And so it's like, Oh, well we could just walk through and go anywhere. And, um, they even see, uh, one of the doorways actually opens up to the enterprise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you
1: said Where someone is walking by with a door or a uh-huh. wall piece. And I swear it looked like data. Um, yeah. but then later on when Picard walks through the portal, no, sorry. When Worf and data walk through the portal, um, that wall is still leaning up against the wall. So it wasn't a mistake. It was literally there on purpose, but I still don't understand the point of what we saw where a guy who looked like data picked up a part of the wall and moved it.
0: I, I don't know what the wall part was. I think the reason he looked like data is because the gateway itself, I think it was slightly desaturated. And so, and so it
1: made him look like the washed out kind of skin that data has. Yeah. I think that's and it was somebody what it was. in the gold uniform. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, also, I we didn't explain why the ships were malfunctioning. It turns out that the Iconian probe, like the first one that contacted the Yamato, had sent an Iconian program that was overriding the ship's computer and causing all the malfunctions and when they downloaded the the logs
1: they got the the
0: virus too but because they didn't get it from the probe it was limited just to like the the section of the mainframe where they had downloaded the logs to so it was taking a while to impact everything else and the Romulan chip is impacted as well because they intercepted those logs.
1: Right they weren't supposed to so it showed they had been wrong or they had been doing naughty things they weren't supposed to because they should not have had Starfleet logs but I mean everybody was kind of poking around where they weren't supposed to this episode so you couldn't really, it's like at one point I think Picard asks the, the Romulan captain, you know, what are you doing in the neutral zone? She's like, well, what are you doing in the neutral zone?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> it's the Spider-Man po- pointing meme. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I really was surprised we didn't see any random holo- holodeck um, malfunction stuff happening, like maybe some random people running through the hallways in costumes or something <laughs> because with it being a sh- ship's computer malfunction episode we just kind of sort of forgot the holodeck existed which you know always makes for interesting malfunctions so i was surprised we didn't see i think
0: when the holodeck malfunctions that's always like the point of the episode Uh, The whole point. Yeah, yeah, like if you're going to have a ship, something always goes wrong with the ship's computer, but if it affects the holodeck, then that's going to be the main thing is people are locked in the holodeck and they have to get out with the, you know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but because that wasn't the focus of the episode, I think they decided to just ignore it.
1: So Riker has this one line that says fate protects fools, little children and the enterprise. And I literally had to stop it and back it up because I said, did he say fate? Because it should have been luck. Luck helps fools, little children on the Enterprise. Fate had nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> like, yeah. I, it was a weird line, right? I liked it. Yeah. But I don't know. Because I- what, what was fateful about what happened? Nothing. I don't know. Other than it just went their way, you know, it was, I don't know. Anyway, was, I'm just nitpicking Riker's lines, apparently. <laughs> one thing
0: that I liked while they were down on the planet is they recognize some of the Iconian, uh, like, uh, alphabet. They're like, this looks like another language that, that, uh, that we've seen. And Data's like, yes, it also resembles this other one. And it kind of makes sense if the Iconians were like conquerors who were spreading from world to world, that, you know, their language would have been spread to other planets. And like latin-based in-
1: languages yeah like we like because what english and spanish for example are both latin-based you can't understand a spanish person no
0: english is no. Uh, english is germanic i mean we have a lot of latin roots because of the are we the considered
1: norm- more germanic than latin yes. okay
0: yeah. But we have well most of our our Latin words uh, came from the Norman Conquest of of England. But uh, okay, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're we're primarily Germanic.
1: So is Spanish, Germanic, then too. No. Okay, is Latin. so that's why there's enough difference between the two that you can't understand each other, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't understand like. Uh, there's a lot of Germanic languages that aren't mutually uh, understandable. Like, you can't understand German unless you speak German.
1: Right, that's true. I, the, yes, it's a very different language than yeah. English, that's for sure. It just evolved a whole different way. Um, I have a... At, at at my work, there's a girl who speaks Spanish, and she helps me a lot with some of our multi-language families. Mm-hmm. And um, it, she can help with like Portuguese to the smallest yeah. bit too, because of this reason, like she knows Spanish and she can, they can communicate enough to understand each other, but not to like communicate. Yeah, and it's an interesting language barrier. You know, there,
0: there is some mutual compatibility, mutual intelligibility between a lot of the romance languages. Um, and I mm-hmm. think Spanish and Portuguese are pretty closely related. Actually, I think Spanish and Italian are more closely related, but
1: sometimes I mistake things in Italian for Spanish. Cause I'm slowly, very slowly learning Spanish. Mm-hmm. But um, and I'll hear something and I'll think, oh, that's that sounds like Spanish, and it'll be Italian.
0: Yeah, um, when I was taking Spanish in high school, actually, there would be. I think I remember reading just like an entire paragraph in French and I knew enough Spanish that I was actually to able to, out. to figure yeah. out what without having to go to Google Translate. I was like, oh, that, no, well, this like is for what this me,
1: is. what I've been trying to do with Spanish is we have a lot of multilingual families in our school and Spanish is the most popular or the most common of the families that we have. And one of the things for me, learning vocabulary helps me understand what words are the same, um, mm-hmm. like computadora being computer. That means if I look at the kid and say, you know, do you have your computer? They're going to know what word I'm saying. So finding those like base words that are the same so that we can communicate with each other really helps. And that's exactly what Data did. He went in and he looked at those three languages and he found the commonalities to the point where he was able to interpret enough.
0: And actually what he did was basically he did a reconstructed language um, because uh, we have a actually a reconstructed language called Proto-Indo-European, which is... Uh, The the theoretical uh, mother language of uh, all of the Indo-European languages. I'm not sure exactly how they constructed it, uh, how linguists constructed that in in the real world, and I'm sure it probably doesn't one-to-one map onto the actual language spoken back then but Mm -hmm. you know just looking at common roots and when things branched off and everything they're able to you know extrapolate back and that's basically what data does here which so i thought that was cool
1: yeah i thought it was super cool too
0: but then uh data gets zapped by a console and he's now infected with the virus too and yes brent spiner does like a really good job of roboting he just like starts having jerky motions and his head is like locked to two axes when he's moving and they do a cool effect with his voice it sounds a little bit more robotic but the um picard's like okay so uh what we need to do is Worf, you take data through the the doorway the next time the enterprise is up and i'm going to uh blow up the thing down here and Worf's like well D- that'll kill you and D- D- like, no I'll go through the gateway he's like well but you could end up anywhere he's like yeah well anywhere is gonna be better than uh, here in about two minutes <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: but uh, they take data to back to the enterprise and they take him to engineering to study him but then he like flat lines like like Jordy's like scanning him with the tricorder the tricorder even does it beep like, <laughs> like he just died like a human or something Jordy even does the thing where he like closes his eyes and I was just like yeah no he's not dead he just he's rebooting and it turns out that's the fix
1: to turn it on have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again yeah I, I know. have
0: worked in it for a decade <laughs> and they didn't think to reboot the computer
1: I know <laughs> I thought it too I, I felt like some IT nerd probably wrote this episode. <laughs> it,
0: I know it was the 80s. I, I know not everyone used computers yet, but...
1: But back then, restarting was even more important than it is now for fixing problems. Oh, yeah. Know.
0: God, I remember Windows 95. If you let that thing run for more than eight hours at a time, it was just like completely unusable.
1: <laughs> at my first job where I had a computer every day, we had to shut it down at the end of the day. <laughs> they mm-hmm. wanted us to turn it off when we left. Um, so that in the morning when we came in, it wouldn't just sit there drawing power, running the fans, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it turned out that all they had to do was shut off the the Enterprise and reboot it. And then that fixed the whole problem.
0: Yeah. So um, And Picard goes... He sets the thing up to blow up and then he walks through the uh, the doorway, which actually puts him on the Romulan
1: ship. And they had they had foreshadowed that because when they were flipping through like the different places, I saw the Romulan ship go by once and I was like, uh-huh. oh, interesting. I wonder if that's going to come back into play.
0: And uh, the and it turns out that their their malfunctions are so bad that like there is an auto destruct going on. And uh, the uh, captain, she's like, "Well, I can't uh, disable the auto destruct, but at least I'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you go with me." <laughs> but then, right then, they like the Enterprise has a lock on card, so they beam him up, and he's just like, "Appears not today." But um, yeah, <laughs> and then they're like. They're gonna be like, okay, let's let's get out of here before uh, uh, everything blows up. And they're like, no, let's let's be nice to the Romulans and tell them just to reboot their computer, and then we'll get out of here. <laughs> and, and then we'll uh, get out of here. <laughs> I really liked this episode. I thought it had a real, a lot going on. And uh, I liked
1: the second half. The first uh-huh. half, I was kind of like meh about. The second half, it got good. But like the first half, I was like, I don't even know. Like, I didn't. I don't have any notes really because I didn't. Okay, it was just happening and there wasn't a lot going on. Um, But once the ship starts malfunctioning, which I think is like about one third of the way through or maybe half the way through, then it gets really interesting. Um, And you get to see them try to like figure out what's going on with the computer. Um, The part where Data gets possessed or not possessed, but it's rewriting his code or whatever, I thought was really well done. Like you said, Brent Spiner did a really good job of like playing a computer that's being shut down you know, or, like, being taken over or whatever, there was a perfect... Opportunity for a 2001 Reference that they did not take (laughs) But that's okay They weren't consulting you at the time I know (laughs) because like It reminded me of when he's pulling the the Things out of hell and he starts singing Daisy Daisy (laughs) and so I kind of Expected to maybe go down that route but he Just kind of conked over at one point You know Mm -hmm. (laughs) Her Romulan outfit was really ugly The captains it was so ugly. ugly
0: It's They're wearing like these giant square quilts i have always really, hated yeah i've always hated the tng romulan outfits they they look it, awful it,
1: remember those remember those robes that were popular in the 80s my great grandma would wear them where it was like they were really scratchy on the inside but they were like quilted mm-hmm that's what it reminded me of. It Reminded me yeah. of my great grandma's robe from the '80s, which is the most uncomfortable piece of fabric I've ever touched. And <laughs> then I see it on her, and I'm like, "Wow, that looks uncomfortable." <laughs> you know, yeah. like I don't know, I hated it. Um, so are so the Romulans you said are related to the Vulcans? Yep. But not to the Klingons? No. Even though they look like they're half Vulcan, half Klingon? Well, the uh,
0: so the forehead ridges actually, uh, that was added in TNG. In the original series, they looked just like uh, uh, Vulcans. And, okay. And um, they've actually, since then, we've seen Romulans that look just like Vulcans and some that have the ridges. And I think in Star Trek Picard, they actually explain that it's like uh, people who live in the north on Romulus have, have the V shape on their forehead.
1: But I think oh. I think
0: they 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 added it in TNG just as a way to have a visual distinction between Vulcans and Romulans, right. A little more. But I, I assume it's just you know uh, an evolutionary branch that right uh, that, that happened makes after sense. they left Vulcan.
1: There were some good lines about colonialism, like the victors invariably write the history to their own advantage, mm-hmm. um, was a scathing, you know, condemnation of, <laughs> of America, <laughs> <laughs> if you take two seconds to think about it. Um, but like, it, it was, I've started to notice this kind of anti-colonialism. Isn't that the whole point of the Prime Directive, to not mm-hmm. go out and... and colonize all these planets is to go out and respect their autonomy and that kind of stuff yeah it's really early in like the world 1980 well 1989 right for them to have this stance it's very progressive um and it's it's good to see i like seeing it you know
0: well, and even, like, uh, because the Iconians had been uh, considered conquerors, but the Iconians were all wiped out. I mean, like, the, the the planet's dead, nobody lives there anymore because other people came to destroy them, so it's...
1: But they didn't. They escaped through the portal, they think.
0: Well, some of them might have, they
1: don't know for sure. Yeah. So they never really explain the science behind the portal, right? Because they just...
0: It, it, they They didn't need to. It's, it, it, it works.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause they say something like, we would see magic to people from yeah. 400 years ago or whatever, which is true. I just guess I wanted to know if they had some sort of explanation for it, especially for why they could see into the Romulan ship and the Enterprise. Mm
0: hmm. Um, Worf, uh, uh, Commented on how this could be like a a military installation, but even then, like Picard's like or or Picard and Data like, no, this this uh nothing here seems like military in origin. This seems more like it would be a transporter room.
1: Yeah, he did make that comment.
0: The the implication there is that the Iconians might have been more benevolent than it would seem, but maybe Mm. I don't know. People just didn't trust that you could be an alien species that could just show up at any point. Right. It was like two hundred thousand years ago, so who knows? Anything could be true about them. (laughs)
1: So this is the 11th episode of season two. So I feel like I've got kind of like my feet under me with season two. And I've Mm got to say, have you noticed that so many more of the episodes have less women in them? Because we've lost... Bev, and we've lost Tasha. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have those two to focus on. And where's the Deanna focus? Like, they just pretend she doesn't exist. She's there to nod her head and say, yes, they seem agitated. And that's about (laughs) the only role she has anymore. I'm hoping that's going to get fixed. And
0: Pulaski barely does anything.
1: I know. At first they gave her a couple, like, she was prominent because they were like, here's the new doctor or whatever. And now she's just off in sickbay, being sickbay, and it's become the Riker Picard Worf data show. You know? And I know it's going to get fixed because I know there's other episodes that star the the women, but I just have noticed now that we're 11 episodes in, it's like I miss the the fact that there was more women in the first season <laughs> and more focus on the women. You know well, what I mean? The,
0: um, the problems with Deanna are never really going to go away. Um, the writers never really figured out what to do with her. So she's kind of a disappointing character. OK, we actually I'd say Probably the best writing I have seen for her was in Star Trek: Picard, uh, season one, which is weird because that season I didn't like very much, but I thought right. uh, the episode with her was actually phenomenal. And there's good Troy episodes in in TNG. There's just not that many of them.
1: Hmm. Okay, and Bev will come back and she'll be yeah. part of the crew again. Yeah. Uh, I just I noticed because I noticed that Guinan is having to pick up the momming duties when it comes to Wesley because like uh-huh. after the Duffine leaves, like she's the one that's having to like. You know, Pat, Pat, it's okay. There will be other loves in the world or whatever. And it's like so weird that this kid doesn't have a mom, you know, or a dad on the show. I mean, sorry, on the ship. And it's, it's a little weird. So I know that Bev's going to come back and I know that's going to happen. And like you said, I've been trying to give Pulaski more like grace because I know she's not here forever, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, but at the other hand, like I find because almost one, at least once, in episode I find myself thinking I miss Tasha or I miss Bev or I miss Deanna and I'm like wait Deanna's still here you know like (laughs) it just feels like we're not using those you know it just it feels like there's for me someone who relates to the female characters more I it feels different than the first episode but it's easy to ignore because the writing or the first season but it's easy to ignore because the writing is so much better
0: that's I think just kind of a problem with TNG in general Um, and you know it's product of the times there you know there are less uh female characters and they get less of a focus i think deep space nine probably has much stronger women characters on that show
1: i've heard so many good things about ds9 and i'm yeah. assuming that when we finish tng we'll just keep sliding on into ds9 right yeah, i think i'd love to yeah, um, because I've just heard so many good things about it. I think that's everything on this episode for me, though. Um, I I don't really yeah. think I have anything to. Oh, I thought it was hilarious that the guy was like, "That's not medicine." When she told him to make a splint, I wanted to bring that up. <laughs>
0: yeah, because uh, nothing's working in sickbay either, and he's like trying to mend somebody's like uh, broken bone, and she's just like, "Oh, we'll just make a splint," and he's like, "Make a what?" And I'm like,
1: and she explains what it is. He's like, that's not medicine.
0: That's barbaric. And I'm just like, can, can Starfleet medical maybe teach people things that that are like in the fact basic? Of yeah.
1: medicine? Like I don't know. It seems like in 400 years in the future, you'd have to at least take one or two history of medicine classes.
0: like what happens when you uh crash your shuttle on a planet and you don't have access to a, a world class sick bay and you have to make do like
1: i know you should
0: know basic medicine basic techniques
1: okay well i think that's it for today thanks for joining us i'm ari and i'm gayfesh and until next time
0: live long and prosper
1: thanks for listening
0: if you enjoyed it don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service
1: We're on Twitter at Rest Both
0: Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash rest of both worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.